Do you have any special skills? Oh, yes. I do. I, I do voices. What do you mean, you do voices? Well, I do voices. Yeah! We've come to this planet looking for intelligent life. Oops, we made a mistake. We're happy to be in America. Don't ask for a green card. <laughs> I want you in the worst way. Well, it's certainly a rough meeting, and it's not going very well for me, I'll tell you that. Hey, boss, give it a chance. She's going to loosen up any moment. <laughs> Look at me right now, money penny. I want to undo that bow and get to know you. I'm crazy to make a deal with you! Nancy and I are still looking for the other half of my head. This idiot! She's doing it! I'm sitting on a gold mine! Don't make me smack you, sweetheart. I'll do it. Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? I used to. Welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan, and I am solo today, uh, which is weird for me. Not just solo, but also live. I am doing an experiment here, kind of live streaming on Twitch while I do the show. Uh, Partially, well, for two reasons, really. One, I want to get more fan interaction, and I think this is maybe a good way to do it. So if I'm having people call into the show or anything, not only is it good for content, but uh, I also get a chance to chat with you guys, which is always nice. But in addition to that, whenever I'm going to do a show solo, and for whatever reason, I just kind of wanted to this week, I had a tough time, honestly, getting a hold of any of the co-hosts, not getting hold of, but having the time available from the usual co-hosts to come in and do the show with me. So I did end up doing one anyway, solo, but I kind of felt like it anyway, because It's an experiment that I feel like I'm already kind of screwing up a lot anyway, but when I do record things on my own and by myself, I have a habit of stopping and being a perfectionist and going back and trying to fix things. But when I do it live, there's an accountability there. I can't just stop and say, oh, I'm going to do that again. So everybody that's listening live, just hold on and bear my repetition. So this kind of forces me to kind of do it in one take and just have it done and be happy with that. Plus, it's also good. I said two reasons, but here comes a third. Uh, It's also good for just the stand-up comedian in me to do this and to keep it live like that and to to do something on my own. Because when you get up on a stage, obviously, you're on your own and it's that same thing there. So I'm going to try not to babble too much. I hope that this episode is going to end up interesting for people. I did do one on my own in the past, but I didn't do it live. Uh, and I do think that that ended up a little more boring, not because it was only me, but just because I was overly critical of myself while I was doing it. So this one is just me. As I said, I do have a lot of stuff to go through. I'm going to kick it off with an iTunes review that we received. I always appreciate the uh, iTunes reviews that you leave. It is the cheapest, completely free easiest way to support the show. So every time you guys do that, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, This new iTunes review comes in from AZED42. Not much of a name, but uh, we still respect it. Uh, He or she says, because I don't know. 
Longtime listener, but never made a comment. This is my first review. I've enjoyed pretty much every show going back to before the Asplosion episode. So this is a longtime listener, apparently, because uh, that was episode 50, and we are up there. We're close to 200 now. Even though I'm not into wrestling at all, your commentary manages to enlighten me. I've been a geek since before the time anyone would even admit it. Watched the original run of Star Trek on NBC as a child of the 60s. So I can honestly say this is a great podcast to subscribe to. And yes, I had to wait to see how Batman, Adam West, got out of the fiendish traps he got caught in each week. Keep up the good work and hope someday to contribute something to the show. That is something contributed right there. So I thank you. And uh, if you do want to leave us a review on iTunes, I appreciate those. Like I said, thegeekgeneration.com slash iTunes is the place to do that. Uh, so I don't normally do this on the show uh, because I like to keep things upbeat and I like to keep things entertaining. I know a lot of people listen to this on Mondays as it is normally released. And uh, when you're starting off your week at work, the last thing you want to do is hear doom and gloom and you want to be upbeat and more chipper and uh, hear happier things. But unfortunately, we lost somebody recently that uh, hit me a lot harder than I expected it to. I am going to do my best to not uh, lose it during this broadcast. I can't promise that's not going to happen. But uh, last week, I think last week, yeah, um, Robin Williams passed away. And it it did hit me very, very hard. You never know how something like that is going to hit you. I've always been a Robin Williams fan. Um, I'm not going to say I was the biggest fan in the world. Well, no. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to already stop myself right there. That sounds like there were things that he did that I didn't care for, and that's completely untrue. I'm just saying there are probably bigger Robin Williams fans in the world than me, but I was a tremendous fan of his, uh, not only what he did on the stage as a comedian, but largely what he did as an actor, both comedically and dramatically. Uh, I love movies. I'm very outspoken about movies, and he is one of the best performers when it comes to uh, being in movies. So it is, like I said, tough because you never know how something like this is going to hit you. You don't know the person necessarily, but you feel like you do in a way with what they contributed to the world through their art and through their work. And Robin Williams is one of those amazing, amazing performers that could just do so many different things. And when I heard the news, it was surreal. It was completely surreal. I didn't, I, at first I thought, oh, uh, hoax, online hoax. We've heard death reports before. And then you hear like an hour or two later, that's a complete hoax. And that's what I thought. I was like, there's no way that this is it. And then I saw another report and it said that it was suicide. And I was like, what? No way. I mean, I knew, I knew he had his problems with substance abuse and things like that, but he just didn't seem like the type. And you can't ever really think that because you don't know your public persona is often very different from what your private troubles or your private persona might be. Uh, so I, I do think back to when I heard the news about Chris Benoit, uh, the professional wrestler, for those of you who do not follow the WWE or WWF or what it might be uh, at that time. But I remember back when Chris Benoit, I heard the news that Chris Benoit had died um, and it wasn't released at first how he died and what happened and the extent of it. So to me at the time, it was just a death of someone that I was a big fan of. Uh, I was very integrated into WWE and pro wrestling at that point. I was wrestling myself at that point or uh, just about to get into it, actually, because I think yeah, I was I was still in college at the time and I was just about to get into was I? 
God, I don't even remember. No, I wasn't. No, I was actively wrestling at that time. I'm trying to place everything date-wise, and I don't always do well with the memory. Uh, but I was actively wrestling at the time. I was watching every single show that WWE put out over the course of the week, every hour of it, every minute of it. So I was fully ingrained in it. And when Chris Benoit died, it hit me really, really hard. Um, and I remember watching the raw tribute show to him. Uh, I was, uh, my girlfriend at the time lived in New York and I was visiting her for the weekend. And, um, I just remember laying down on the bed and her like hugging me as I was sobbing, just losing it, uh, because the death of someone like that just, and to see his influence on the industry hit me that hard that it just had an impact. And I hadn't felt that since until uh, the death of Robin Williams. And when I heard that it wasn't a hoax and that it was true and all the legitimate media outlets started reporting it, then I I really got taken aback. And because of the, the social media society that we live in, my first instinct was to go on Twitter and see what people were saying about it because... Um, that's, that's how I get a lot of my news these days is not just from Facebook, but also from Twitter and kind of the live things there. And that's when it really, really hit me. Uh, when you see all the comedians that he worked with, uh, directly and that knew him in one way or another, just say, just rave about him and say such uh, amazing things about him, not only as a performer, but also as a person. And, uh, you can probably hear the, the kind of quivering in my voice already because this is hard for me to talk about uh, and just think about. I was I was shaking up a lot and I was I was bawling when I started reading all those reports. Um, but it it there's I've seen two and I wanna I wanna get this out of the way. Maybe this will keep me from crying a little bit. Um, I saw all these things online about people saying that his death was selfish because it was a suicide, and yes. Suicide can be a selfish act uh, if it's done with a clear mind and depending on your motivations. But when that motivation is mental illness, it is not selfish. Uh, it is something that was simply out of his hands. And it turns out that he was not only dealing with depression and anxiety, but what he had hidden from the world, his wife later revealed that he was also suffering from the early stages of Parkinson's disease. So who knows what impact all that stuff had on him. Um, he wasn't thinking about his kids. He wasn't thinking about his wife. It wasn't selfish. He simply, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, obviously, but all I will say is that it was not a selfish act when done in the regards that he did it. So uh, people that say that are just completely ignorant, I believe. But um, I don't want to just stay here and mourn it in the in the sense of loss and everything because we did lose something big but i want to celebrate the career of robin williams and i'm not going to spend the whole episode doing this so uh <laughs> don't don't tune out right away uh if i'm getting all too doomy and gloomy on you but i um i want to go over just some of the things that stood out as highlights for me over his career or the things that were highlights of his career even if i was not as familiar with them obviously the first thing being mork and mindy and his run on that show a spinoff of Happy Days, I believe, um, the character Mork from Ork. I never really saw a ton of it. Uh, it was a little bit before my time. I was born in uh, 81, 
So I don't know exactly when it aired, but I'm pretty sure it was before that time. I'm sure I caught some reruns uh, of the show here and there because I do remember seeing pieces and bits of it. But that was really, I think, one of his big claim to fame aside from his stand-up career. That's what got him some national exposure uh, to a larger crowd. One of the other movies early on, too, that is a particular memory for me, even if I don't remember the movie itself that well because I saw it when I was very young, is the uh, the movie Good Morning Vietnam. One of the milestones that it holds in my life is that it's the first R-rated movie I ever saw, and I don't know how I got to watch it. I don't know if it was one of those like free HBO or Showtime trial weekends, but I remember watching it at home, uh, and I'm pretty sure I remember watching it without the consent of my parents. So um, just a, a quick uh, clip from Good Morning Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ. Is that me or does that sound like an Elvis Presley movie? Viva Da Nang. Oh, Viva Da Nang. Da Nang me, Da Nang me. Why don't they get a rope and hang me? Hey, is this a little too early for being that loud? Hey, too late. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God, it's early. So, <laughs> clearly his... His erratic behavior and the, his manic state that he used to have on stage came through in his movies, translated right over. That was widely what he was known for, was that just all over the place ability to riff off the top of his head. And uh, wow, what what an ability it was. That guy was thinking so far ahead of everything every time he did anything. I don't know if he was even thinking of it ahead or if it was just instinct, if he was just that good that it was just a switch he could throw and just get into that mode and then boom, 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 it came out. But it was an unbelievable talent. And my favorite performance of his also earlier in his career that I think a lot of people look at to be maybe one of their favorite performances of his was in Aladdin as the genie. Uh, I saw it as a kid, so obviously it resonated heavily with me as those movies were aimed towards my generation. Um, but I imagine one of the reasons that I like the role so much is because that I imagine that the animators got to create kind of what they already what already existed inside of Robin's head while he was in this manic state and going through all these characters and doing all these things and living in all these worlds. Uh, he, I assume, did a lot of riffing on the movie outside of the normal script because that's that's what he did. And then the animators got to visually create what it was like to be inside the brain of Robin Williams. So here's a little bit from Aladdin. 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. Hang on a second. Whoa! Wow! Does it feel good to be out of there? I'm telling you, nice to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, where are you from? What's your name? Uh... Uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you on the show. Can we call you Al? Or maybe just Din? Or how about Laddie? Sounds like, here, boy. Come on, Laddie. <laughs> I must have hit my head harder than I thought. Another uh, great performance of his and widely memorable. And uh, one of the biggest disappointments about the death of Robin Williams is that I know a sequel was moving forward. I don't know how far in development it was or when it was actually coming. But Mrs. Doubtfire was a planned sequel, and unfortunately, we will not see that. Uh, but that performance of his is legendary. I mean, everyone remembers the suit that he had to throw on and the voice and everything. And not only was it comedic, but this was also a transition uh, into the dramatic side for Robin Williams. So he shared 
he shared that ability to do comedy as well as he did drama. Uh, and of course, some of those movies will come up too, but Mrs. Doubtfire definitely being a great transition movie for that. Dear Mrs. Doubtfire, two months ago, my mom and dad decided to separate. Now they live in different houses. My brother Andrew says that we aren't to be a family anymore. Is this true? Did I lose my family? Is there anything I could do to get my parents back together? Sincerely, Katie McCormick. Oh, my dear Katie. You know, some parents, when they're angry, they get along much better when they don't live together. They don't fight all the time and they can become better people and much better mummies and daddies for you. And sometimes they get back together. And sometimes they don't, dear. And if they don't, don't blame yourself. Just because they don't love each other anymore doesn't mean that they don't love you. Another tremendous movie, obviously. Um, but one of his, and another one of my favorite roles of his, uh, was, I think, I don't know where in the span of his doing drama this landed, but I think this was his one of his big breakout roles in the drama area uh, to the point where I believe this is the movie that he won an Oscar for. I believe it was Goodwill Hunting. I could be wrong on that. I apologize if I am. Maybe I didn't do all the research I should have. But his ability to do drama stood out tremendously in this movie. And going through all these clips the other day just to see what I wanted to actually pull for the show, I I really want to rewatch this movie. Now, I want to rewatch all the Robin Williams movies, but this one especially because uh, I forgot just how good a movie it is. So a little bit from Goodwill Hunting. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. When I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. When I ask you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. To have that love for her be there forever. And if I recall, that is one of the bigger speeches in the movie uh, that kind of resonates with people. One of the more memorable things that happened there. Um, and one of the things that Robin Williams did a lot, too, was he was placed... I know people tend to get typecast he did do a wide array of different things so he wasn't one of those people that necessarily did do the same role over and over but there was a theme through a lot of movies of his where he was basically a kid in a grown-up's body and uh that's kind of what he was so it made sense to put him in that role movies like hook where he used to be peter pan as a boy eventually became an older man but still was that boy inside 
uh, toys where he kind of lived in a perpetual state of play and patch Adams where again, he was, he was an adult, but had a, a childlike glimmer in his eye and, uh, like the, the scene in the, the kids ward and everything, you see that really come through. Um, and even though I don't think patch Adams was the most critically acclaimed of one of his movies, it still definitely resonated with, uh, a larger crowd. Every person who comes to the ranch is in need of some form of physical or mental help. Their patients. But also every person who comes to the ranch is in charge of taking care of someone else. Whether it's cooking for them, cleaning them, or even a simple task as listening. That makes them doctors. I use that term broadly, gentlemen, but is not a doctor someone who helps someone else? When did the term doctor get treated with such reverence as, oh, right this way, Dr. Smith, or, excuse me, Dr. Scholes, what wonderful foot pads, or, pardon me, Dr. Patterson, but your flatulence has no odor. <laughs> At what point in history did a doctor become more than a trusted and learned friend who visited and treated the ill? Now, you ask me if I've been practicing medicine. Well, if this means opening your door to those in need, those in pain, Caring for them, listening to them, applying a cold cloth until a fever breaks. If this is practicing medicine, if this is treating a patient, then I am guilty as charged, sir. And if that's the definition of a doctor, then I assume Robin Williams, in a way, was one too, himself, through what he did and the joy that he brought to others. And there was one movie, too, where he literally was a kid in a grown-up's body, uh, Jack, as uh, a little boy that aged four times as fast as anybody else. And uh, I've, I've talked about a lot of Robin Williams movies, uh, and there are other huge highlights that I'm skipping over, but I unfortunately haven't seen every single one <laughs> that, I've, that I'd love to, or uh, there are just some that didn't stand out or resonate with me as much as the ones I mentioned here. So like I said, I don't want to spend the whole episode doing this, and I am going to wrap it up with a speech that he gives at the end of Jack. Um, and I might take a moment afterwards because I am going to uh, get a little teary and whimpery. Um, and uh, then we'll come back and we'll do some uh, some regular stuff to turn the show around. You know, as we come to the end of this phase of our life, we find ourselves trying to remember the good times and trying to forget the bad times. And we find ourselves thinking about the future. We start to worry, thinking, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be in 10 years? But I say to you, hey, look at me. Please, don't worry so much. Because in the end, None of us have very long on this earth. Life is fleeting. And if you're ever distressed, cast your eyes to the summer sky when the stars are strung across the velvety night and when a shooting star streaks through the blackness turning night today make a wish think of me 
make your life spectacular. I know I did. Ooh, okay, so uh, <laughs> regain my composure a little bit. Um, let's uh, move on into some other stuff. First of all, one thing I want to tell you guys about if you are listening to this on Monday, I am trying something out new. Uh, of course, the the current t-shirt store still exists. You can get to that by going to thegeekgeneration.com slash store, uh, and we appreciate that. Uh, but also on Monday... Uh, I am opening up a, a side shop at another place called T Public. Uh, this is a place that does t-shirts on demand, and it allows me to upload some stuff without as much risk. I've spent a lot of money on t-shirts that unfortunately haven't sold, uh, but I'm going to put some stuff up here too. The first shirt that I'm planning on releasing is a uh, Batman-ish parody avoiding copyrights type shirt that is a combination of the batman logo and the the geek generation g shield and uh in in the tone of the batman superman kind of mashup logo and if you are interested in getting one of those they are on sale for the first 72 hours only i cannot put them on sale after this i do not regulate the prices of this store uh it is what it is and the way it works is that in the first 72 hours if you put a design up and a new shirt up, it is $14 for the first 72 hours, and then it jumps up to $20 for ever after that, and that is out of my control. So if you would like to get the good deal on this shirt and get it early, it is going up on Monday. You have 72 hours before it goes up to $20, so go check that out by going to thegeekgeneration.com slash g-shirts, huh? Crafty. Not t-shirts. G-shirts, thegeekgeneration.com slash G-shirts. I'm planning on doing a whole series. I hope we'll see how this one goes. My thought is to take the G-Shield logo and kind of do some like superhero parodies of it. So maybe I'll release a blue shirt with the uh, the red and yellow Superman colors for the shield. Maybe I'll release another one that's a red shirt uh, with a yellow shield and then the lightning bolt through it. So it's kind of like the Flash, maybe a Green Lantern one. Who knows? Uh, it depends on the interest that the crowd has in them. But it's an experiment, just like doing this live show that I'm doing right now is. So uh, if you're interested in that, again, thegeekgeneration.com slash g-shirts. So um, some stuff that I did recently to get into. Boston Comic Con I went to. Uh, I did cosplay again. I had talked previously about going to San Diego Comic Con, where that was the first time I wore a costume and it was fun, uh, but it was also overwhelming. And uh, it kind of took away from what I did or what I wanted to do at the convention. Some of the other things that I wanted to do, I felt like when you go in costume, you kind of go to be in costume and that's what you do. So any other plans you had for that day kind of take a back seat because you have to spend all your time posing for pictures and doing this and that. And my costume is, uh, for the most part, comfortable except for the mask. The Batman cowl gets very sweaty. Uh, I can't turn my head in it. It is like the Michael Keaton style where I don't have a neck that I can move uh, like the Nolan, the later Nolan movies. So sitting in a panel or something like that becomes obnoxious. If I'm going to go in costume, I'm just going to be in costume. That's going to be it. So anyway, uh, I'm babbling. I think I'm babbling. It's my show. I talk. I babble. That's what I do. That's the show. Uh, so I went to Boston Comic Con 
on all three days, actually. On the Friday, I went with my friend Ryu Lavitz, who you guys probably heard on the show before. Uh, I dressed up as Batman. She dressed up as Catwoman. And that's kind of the reason that I did dress up. I wasn't actually going to uh, dress up at all for this convention. But she said she was going as Catwoman. She wanted me to dress up as Batman. I was only going to be there for three or four hours. And I was going on other days, too. So I figured, what the hell? Why not? And I had a lot more fun going in costume with somebody else. So when you go by yourself, I it felt a little lonelier. Uh, I felt like the people who were hanging out with me were kind of annoyed. They probably might not have been. But when I'm having to stop to take pictures all the time, the people with you just kind of stand off to the side or something. I feel like that would get kind of obnoxious. But when you are only with somebody else who's also in a costume and you have someone to pose with all the time, that makes a huge difference. And I had a lot more fun doing that. Also, while I was there uh, on Saturday, uh, mingled around two, took a lot of pictures. On Sunday, I went back because I didn't feel like I got enough pictures. And I also wanted to get an autograph that I missed out during the rest of the weekend. I wanted to get an autograph from John Barrowman. Uh, if people are unfamiliar, he was Jack Harkness on Doctor Who and Torchwood. And he currently plays Malcolm Merlin on Arrow. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of his. I saw his panel from San Diego Comic-Con, which was outrageous because he is that kind of personality. I also released his panel from Boston Comic-Con, and I recorded that on the Sunday, so I'm also glad I went back uh, just recently, and I hope people enjoyed that. I thought it was a tremendous panel. I've also released some of the video. I don't have the entire panel on video on YouTube, but uh, I, I put his story that was at the end on our YouTube channel. If you go to, I think, uh, if you go to geekgeneration.com slash YouTube, you'll get to us that way too. But one of his stories, the video is actually up there, and I do have some other videos I'm going to release from that panel as well. Uh, but I also got the autograph from him and talked to him a little bit, just telling him about seeing him in San Diego and everything. And he is, uh, he is a flirtatious man, and he is a very gay man. And uh, he definitely hit on me when I was getting the autograph. He asked me if I was gay or straight and was disappointed, it seemed. Uh, he was like, uh, he's like, where do you fall on the spectrum? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm straight. He goes, damn. I'm like, but in reality, isn't everyone on the spectrum just a little bit? So I got a high five out of that. I don't feel like I am necessarily. Well, OK, that's not true. If you can judge other men's attractiveness and just say that's a good looking man, I think that makes you on the spectrum. I'm not saying you're sexually attracted to the guy, but you can look at a guy and go, that's a good looking man. Therefore, you are on the spectrum. So I don't feel like I was lying. Uh, but I also asked him, too, because I really want to get him on the show because he's such a great personality. He has a nice uh, audience that I'm sure would love to hear him. I want to just talk to him about his career because I am fascinated by the man. He's super entertaining. So I got his uh, contact info and hopefully I will be booking him for an upcoming episode I don't know when. Uh, I don't know if it's definitely going to happen. I'm probably jumping way ahead by even saying it and uh, jinxing it. But the the joke that he made with me that is he said he would love to. That's what he said. But he said there was only one condition that we had to do it naked. So I said for you, John, anything. So whatever happens with that, uh, fingers crossed. Hope to get him on the show in the future. Can't wait for that. But Boston Comic Con overall was an enjoyable time. So I hate to go from from the somber start of the show to some happier stuff and then right back to bad news. But unfortunately, this is the stuff that's come out recently. So this is what we got to talk about. I know a lot of my co-hosts would love to talk about this with me, but they're not here this week. And this is new stuff. So I got to talk about it anyway. Uh, the Discovery Channel 
recently announced that Mythbusters is saying goodbye to the M7 build team of Carrie Byron, Grant Imahara, and Tori Belici. The show will go back to just Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman next season. The official statement reads, quote, Carrie, Tori, and Grant have been an incredibly important part of Mythbusters for over a decade. From explosions to car crashes to even more explosions, this trio has helped shape Mythbusters into the Emmy-nominated series it is today. We want to thank them for their tireless work, busting almost 1,000 myths, and wish them all the best. So this was a shock. Uh, I don't think anyone really expected the build team to get cut from the show. Uh, There had been some talk in the past about 2015 being like a reboot season for Mythbusters, but I don't think people suspected that in that reboot they would lose half of the cast, more than half of the cast, uh, losing three out of the five. This is a team that's been around since season two. So if they're going back to just Adam and Jamie, they only did that for like a season, maybe a little bit more. So they're really going back and stripping this thing down. Nobody really said why this is happening. Uh, and, and the three have tweeted about it and just say they're excited for the future, of course, because that's what they do. They're good people. But I feel like this is a move on the network for short-term gain instead of thinking about the long-term quality of the show. We know that entertainment is becoming fractured now, uh, not just with TV, but audio and radio and things like that. I mean, I'm sitting in my room recording to you people right now. This is entertainment. I am vying for your attention versus all the other stuff that's out there. And that's why I appreciate so much when you guys listen. And girls, I keep saying guys, I feel like I should be more general. I appreciate when you geeks listen. So because of this fracturing of entertainment, there's less money going into TV. So they're trying to find ways to cut things. And I think cutting those three from the show is just that short-term monetary gain. I don't feel like it's the best decision. I am curious to see what will happen with the show next season. I don't want it to change too much just because I love it. So uh, not much more to say beyond that. If you remember, we did get the chance to meet them in New York last year, uh, Grant Torrey and Carrie, and they were all tremendous human beings. They were so nice to talk with. I would love to approach one of them to get them on the show. I know Carrie Byron follows me on Twitter, so maybe I can uh, send her a direct message and maybe get her on the show or something, although I'm sure this is a weird time frame to make that happen because they're probably going through a lot and I'm sure people are just trying to get a ton of info out of them anyway but I'd love to make that happen Uh, another thing really quick before I get into a lot of the news um, we're not going to do the smash up this week mostly because I haven't come up with a new category yet I've been very busy with a lot of other stuff we are going to get into news real soon though and I'm probably not going to do geek outs and freak outs because I like to do those with my other co-hosts I do have a ton of them so if time provides maybe I'll get into some But uh, just another quick thing too, Patreon, I've talked about it before. This is a place where you can go to support the geek generation and the things that we do. Uh, You go to Patreon, you sign up, you choose an amount that you'd like to donate each month, and that amount will be automatically uh, deducted. I keep wanting to say deducted. It says donated right in front of me. You sign up, you choose your amount, and it'll be automatically donated each month. And you can cancel your donation at any time. We're asking that you donate $1 a month, uh, which is no crazy amount, and I appreciate it for those of you that do. I don't know if he wants his name completely on the show, but uh, one listener of ours, Darren H., is currently donating $5 a month because he's a goddamn superhero. And we appreciate that so much, Darren. He also sent me a message on the Facebook page, 
And I want to thank you personally so much for that. That is a huge help. I, I really can't even tell you how much. That is tremendous. Um, so if you want to be one of those people that helps us out, you can go to geekgeneration.com slash support and you can sign up there. Again, we really, really appreciate that. Hey, Amazon users. If you'd like to help support the show, please go to thegeekgeneration.com slash Amazon, which will bring you right to the Amazon homepage. If you make a purchase after using this link, you've helped the show by earning us a commission, and it won't cost you any extra money. Please use this link for all your future Amazon shopping. That's thegeekgeneration.com slash Amazon. Hi, this is Carrie Byron from the Mythbusters, and you're listening to The Geek Generation, my favorite podcast. So let's talk about some news. A lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, Warner Brothers Pictures has moved up the release of their highly anticipated superhero team-up, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, to March 25th, 2016. The most recent date of May 6th, 2016, would have had the film opening opposite Marvel's Captain America 3. The studio went on to reveal a massive schedule of planned DC Comics movies. While no specific movies are yet attached to any of the dates, nine films have been set to take place from 2016 through 2020. So just as Marvel has been doing, DC is now following suit, setting a huge schedule of movies, and yet they're doing it based off of Man of Steel, which was ultimately, I'm sure it was financially successful, but had a lot of backlash to it. So it seems very strange that they are charting out this massive course. It feels like they're jumping into it when they're not 100% prepared to do so, and they're not planning things out as well as Marvel. Plus, I'm very scared for the Batman v Superman movie when we've talked about before all the people being added to it. It's getting fragmented and it's getting pulled in so many different directions. Who knows how that's going to end up? If that doesn't do well and all this other stuff is down the pipeline, are we really even going to be that excited for it? I mean, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was freaking great. I'll just say that right away. Uh, I've seen it twice already, and I will talk about that maybe on this show later, maybe on another one. But Marvel's been doing everything right so far. And while Ant-Man, the news with that, seems to be kind of their first stumble, they have been very solid in their delivery, where DC is starting off on a very shaky pedestal. And to put your whole comic book franchise on that one pedestal does not feel like the smart move right now. So, of course, I hope for the best because my beloved Batman is a part of it and I only want to see them do well, but uh, I am very, very worried. In video game news, here's some big video game news. Ubisoft has announced Assassin's Creed Rogue, an exciting new installment in the franchise currently in development for the Xbox 360 and PS3. Set in the middle of the 18th century during the Seven Years' War, Assassin's Creed Rogue gives players new locations across North America to explore, including the frozen North Atlantic, the Appalachian River Valley, and New York. In the game, players experience the Assassin's Creed universe through the eyes of a Templar. As Shay Patrick Cormac, players suffer the Brotherhood's betrayal and transform into an Assassin Hunter. The acclaimed naval components from previous Assassin's Creed games have been enhanced in Assassin's Creed Rogue. The game also gives players new weapons to use on both land and sea in pursuit of taking down the assassins, including a new ship called the Morrigan. Assassin's Creed Rogue will be available worldwide on November 11th, 2014. That is uh, some weird news to hear. 
especially with Assassin's Creed Unity coming out, I believe, in October. So this would be roughly a month after we're going to get two different Assassin's Creed games, one for the previous generation and one for the next generation. It's getting oversaturated. I've said it before. Assassin's Creed 3 kind of killed the franchise for me. I never got around to picking up uh, the pirate one, Assassin's Creed 4. But uh, I don't know. It's just too much. And when they're releasing all these games, I feel overwhelmed when I'm a fan of a franchise to consume everything they offer because I'm going to feel like I'm missing out if I don't. So when they put out too much stuff, it almost forces me out because now there's going to be two games coming out. I would want to play both of them if I was still a big fan of the franchise and I would feel overwhelmed because I do not have the time to play both of them. So I don't know if other people are in that same boat, but same boat, naval contact, contact, combat, words, difficulties. So it just doesn't seem smart. I don't know. Again, these things are making tons of money. Who am I to say anything about anything? But I am because I have a microphone in front of my face and that's what I do. Uh, despite horrible reviews, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot has been very successful at the box office. Given the success, Paramount has announced a sequel and set a release date of June 3rd, 2016. I don't care. I saw the first Ninja Turtles movie recently. It was garbage. I am very sad that it was garbage. Uh, I did see it with Volpe. He seemed to like it. I don't know how much he liked it. I was hoping he would be here this week so that we could have a spoiler room discussion of it because I know we differ on opinions of it. Uh, but I did think that ultimately it was kind of a garbage movie. And of course it did financially well because who didn't want to see a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? Even if the movie, see, this is the problem. Even when a movie sucks, they're going to do financially well if the franchise is big enough because we're all curious enough to see it. People had told me that the movie sucked beforehand, but I don't trust the opinions of everybody else who sees movies. So, of course, I had to see it for myself anyway, and thereby giving them the money. I'm not obviously the only person that did this. So now they go, that was financially successful. Let's make a sequel in the same universe with the same turtles and all that other stuff, which was garbage. So now we're going to get garbage sequel to garbage first movie. I'm hoping that the sequel does not do well. well okay, ultimately, I'm hoping the sequel is good. That's still what I want. And I, I don't know. It was bad enough to the point where I don't know if I would pay to go see a sequel. I'll probably rent it or something when it comes out. But I'm not going to jump into the theaters to see more of that because that was not pleasant. So if people give me good reviews, maybe I'll give it a shot. Otherwise, I'm kind of out. So sorry, Ninja Turtles. You did me wrong. I had so much hope. You did me wrong. So we got a ton of casting news. Uh, there always seems to be a lot of that when we're coming into the new fall season and everything. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has added two more characters from the Marvel Universe to the show for season two. Teen Wolf actor Brian Patrick Wade will play Carl Crusher Creel, a.k.a. Absorbing Man. Fans of the comics should know this guy. As the name implies, Creel's powers allow him to take on the properties of any surface or object he touches, making him super strong as well as nearly indestructible. It was first revealed at San Diego Comic-Con that Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Mockingbird, would be joining the crew 
And now Marvel Entertainment has confirmed that Friday Night Lights and G.I. Joe Retaliation star Adrian Palicki has been cast in the role. A member of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers in the comics, Mockingbird was first introduced in 1971. Though she doesn't have any superpowers, she was injected with an experimental serum that gave her enhanced strength and speed. And hey, that was a weird tongue twister that I didn't expect. Enhanced strength. There we go. The character also became romantically involved with Hawkeye in the source material. So we're getting two new characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is always very cool. I always wonder, too, because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of the first foray in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to go towards television. I always wonder if there's ever going to be any crossover. I know people from the movies have come onto the show, but I'm wondering if we're going to see people from the show move towards the movies because the potential of Mockingbird getting in a romantic relationship with Hawkeye, like let's say for whatever reason, they decide to make a solo Hawkeye movie. Are we potentially then going to see Mockingbird make a transition into that movie? Because that's interesting because they have history, at least canonically. And if so, does jumping into this TV show kind of guarantee Adrian Palicki that spot when that movie comes around because they probably want to stay consistent as much as possible uh, aside from the Incredible Hulk. I don't know. Just something I think about. I want to see not just uh, stuff from the movies come to the show. I want to see cross-pollination. If we're going to make it a cinematic universe, let's do it. Let's go all in. Former Dexter star David Zayas has joined the cast of Fox's Gotham in the role of crime boss Salvatore Moroni. A prominent figure in the comics, Maroney has the distinction of being the character responsible for disfiguring District Attorney Harvey Dent, resulting in his transformation into Two-Face. Maroney has also appeared in several of the Batman films, most notably by Eric Roberts in 2008's The Dark Knight. I think this is a great casting. Uh, if you guys don't remember who David Zayas is by the name of the actor, uh, he was Angel Batista in Dexter. So him playing a mob boss, thumbs up to that. Very cool. And I'm assuming, or not assuming, I'm hoping that by his addition into the series and his attachment to Harvey Dent, maybe that means we're going to see Harvey Dent in the series. I would assume we would at some time anyway, but he's not someone that's been announced as one of those earlier characters. So when he does show up, I think that will be very exciting. The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that David Kubit Kubit, Kubit, whatever it might be, has been cast for the CW's Arrow in the role of Mark Shaw, a.k.a. Manhunter. Kubit will debut as Shaw in the third episode of the upcoming season as an Argus operative in Corto Maltese. I don't know a ton about Manhunter, aside from the fact that he looks very similar to the Green Lantern villains, those androids called the Manhunters. Uh, and Manhunter, in this particular role, is apparently a hero, too, so I'm not super familiar with that character. Apologize. Also in the Arrow casting news, though, not only is Arrow getting a friendly face with the introduction of Manhunter, but now Matt Ward has been cast in the role of the deadly mercenary Komodo. Just debuting into the canon of the DCU last April, the character was introduced as a young man born with nothing who went on to work for Oliver Queen's father before eventually turning toward greed and becoming a mercenary with archer skills that rival Oliver Queens. So we're getting another enemy archer on Arrow, which seems a little much to me. 
I like the addition of more villains from the DCU, obviously, the more they expand that universe. And let me just say, I've said it before, too. The TV DCU is doing uh, really, really well so far. I'm very excited for The Flash. The pilot was awesome. And I think that TV is going to be their stronger of the two universes right now moving forward, unless Batman v Superman really changes things up. Uh, But if we're going to get a lot of new villains, let's diversify. We don't need more archers. It's not the most interesting in the world, I don't think, to watch two archers shooting at each other. I'd rather see the variation of styles between hero and villain. That's where you get the interesting combat. And we already have an enemy archer in Malcolm Merlin. So why not keep things a little different? I don't know. Maybe this guy's going to end up being like a protege of Merlin's. Who knows? And I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of the DCU on TV, it's being reported that actor Greg Finley has been cast for The Flash in the role of Tony Woodward, a.k.a. Girder. The character is set to appear in episodes 6 and 7 of the upcoming first season. Gerda first appeared in the DCU back in 2001 and has the ability to transform his skin into living metal. There's also a deeper connection between Tony and Barry, as Tony was the bully who used to torment Barry when they were kids. So just like Arrow, The Flash is making a lot of positive uh, decisions as far as including characters from the DCU. I think that's a good idea. Uh, I'll say this. It, I think it kind of got out online already because the pilot leaked. But in the pilot of The Flash, there is a very blatant reference to a major Flash villain in that episode. So be on the lookout for it. You're going to know it as soon as you see it. And it's awesome. I'm very curious as to how they're going to approach creating that villain inside of that universe and making it work. So, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Be on the lookout for it when the show actually hits. Or if you have the pilot already, you might know what I'm talking about. Legendary and Warner Brothers have announced an official release date for Gareth Edwards' Godzilla sequel. The King of Monsters will return to the big screen on June 8th, 2018. So, the bad news? Four more years until the next Godzilla movie. Understandably, though, because Gareth Edwards, as we've said before, in the interim between Godzilla movies, is going to be working on a standalone Star Wars movie within that universe, not one of the major episodes, but his own uh, standalone movie. We don't know what it's going to be focused on yet either. So if he's going to be doing that in between, which I believe he's already in production on right now, it makes sense that he would need some time to then come back to the Godzilla sequel and develop that as well. We've also, too, as a reminder, I believe we said it in the past, they are planning on including classic villains from the Godzilla universe in the upcoming sequel. So while the Mudos were new for the reboot movie, uh, the, the some of the classic monsters that we've seen will make appearances in the sequel. We talked a little bit before about the Spider-Man universe and the expansion of that franchise over at Sony, how they're going to be doing a Sinister Six movie. And uh, it seems now that we have a little more news on the Venom movie. Not anything uh, really significant, but I was curious when they never mentioned anything about it. But it does seem that the proposed Venom spinoff movie is still moving forward. And the rumored title right now, rumored title, is Venom Carnage. Not 
as in Venom slash Carnage, those are the two uh, like team up characters, as in Venom subtitle Carnage. Now, we all know what they're talking about, but I did not expect this, especially if they're keeping these more. I mean, if they're going to put Carnage in a movie, it's got to be rated R. You put the Joker in a movie and you have him really be the Joker. That movie's going to get dark real fast, as it did. You put Carnage into a Spider-Man movie, that movie's going to get very violent and very sadistic very fast, because that is the kind of character that Carnage is. So, if they're really going to do a Venom-slash-Carnage movie, you hope it's going to be rated R. We shall see. I also uh, am curious, too, if the Venom movie means we're going to get an origin story of Venom and then lead into Carnage, or if it's simply going to be a Venom movie going with the assumption that we know who he is and then they will have more of an origin story for Carnage in there. But two origin stories in the same movie is not always super interesting, so uh, hopefully they only go with one or the other. Sony also appears to be planning a female-led superhero film set in the Amazing Spider-Man universe targeted for a 2017 release date. While a central character has yet to be revealed, there are many options such as Black Cat, Silver Sable, or Spider-Woman. I would assume they would lean towards Black Cat, and I believe in Amazing Spider-Man 2, they had somebody that was actually playing Felicia Hardy, who, as we know, or as I know, or maybe you know, is the black cat. So maybe she's just going to get a movie on her own and expand that role. But again, we shall see. And my last bit of news here, Lionsgate and Saban have officially set Power Rangers for a release date of July 22nd, 2016. So while we've said over and over again that 2015 is going to be a flooded year in the movies for geeks, it seems that 2016 might not be far off. That is the end of the news, though, So, uh, and that's pretty much all I need to talk about today. I am going to give the opportunity to people that are in the room, if they would like to call in via the Skype and uh, either geek out and freak out about something, now is your opportunity. If not, I'm going to wrap this thing up and probably edit this part out. Hello, Mr. Shuck. Welcome to the show. (laughs) What's up? (laughs) What is up? How are you? Pretty good. Yourself? I'm good. This is weird. (laughs) Yes. This is weird because uh, I, I just I get the 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 messages and the 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 texts and the emails and stuff, but I've never spoken to the man himself. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that you wanted to talk about? No, I just thought I'd call in and say I love the show. Um, you've been I've I've been listening since I heard you first on Podcrash. That's what got me on the show. Oh no, kidding, really? <laughs> yeah, I heard you on Podcrash. I'm like, they're pretty cool, so I started checking you out from then. I'm always very fascinated as to how people stumble upon the show because. Uh, you believe you had said you did a show before too, right? No, I I no. Didn't, I, didn't, I never did my own show. No. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of someone else then. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> I get so many people confused because there's there's a lot of people, but uh, it's I, all I, good. I, yeah. Um, but I've heard a lot of people say that they heard us on Nerdist because mm-hmm. uh, I've I've written into them many times and they mentioned our show a few times, so a lot of people came that route. And then there's there's the Podcrash one. Um, have you seen Podcrash live or anything or? No, I haven't got a chance to do that, but that would be awesome. But no, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to do that. Okay. The I don't know where they are as far as releasing. I feel like maybe it's the end because he did do the last <laughs> show at San Diego Comic-Con. 
Yeah. So uh, I don't know if he's just planning on releasing that next, or but they haven't released anything really new in a while, and it's been very sporadic anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I, with that kind of show, I guess you could only jump on podcasts so many times, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. Eventually, uh, I, I would feel if people were interviewing me and I was releasing that and commenting it on every week, which is a hilarious premise, I feel like I only have so many stories. So right. eventually that's going to run dry. That's why we try to stay somewhat topical here. No, I like I like that. I, I tune into your show every week. I look forward to it. Um, I really appreciated the, the Batman panel panel. That was really good. Yeah, I wish I could have gotten some better quality there. It turns out that they actually had little press areas. I didn't go as press, unfortunately, but they right. did have uh, little press areas where you could go over and just hook your audio recorder right into the board, which yeah. I should have just done anyway because it was right in front of me, and I don't think anyone would have stopped <laughs> me. But uh, well, you, you did sneak into the other press area, right? I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> well, that was a cool story. Thanks, man. Yeah, I just just wanted to call and say enjoy the show and look forward to it every week. Um, and I love the smash ups, man. <laughs> oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I love doing that. I think it's a uh, I, I love doing interactive things where the crowd can kind of uh, create as well because it gets so tiring. <laughs> when it's no, just I, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So no, I appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. All right. Well, uh, I will let yep. you go then. All and right. We'll kind of wrap this up unless we have some other callers. So thank you. <laughs> No problem. Have a good one, man. You too. I'm assuming based on the amount of people left in the room that uh, we are not really going to get any other callers, and that is completely okay. So I will sign off for this week. I thank you guys for listening, as you do every time. Normally, I ask my co-host if they have something to plug or a final thought or something. I do not have a co-host this week, so I will give my own final thought, and I will just say, rest in peace, Robin Williams. We will miss you. Jeannie, I'm... I'm gonna miss you. <laughs> Me too, Al. <laughs> no matter what anybody says, you'll always be a prince to me. Jeannie, I wish for your freedom. One bona fide prince pedigree coming up. I... What? Jeannie, you're free. Jeannie, you're free.